Okay, welcome back to the Iron Cast. I feel like this is a part two, or actually a part three, because mm-hmm. if you didn't know, there was a middle part that, that Owen threw in there last week about liturgy that was kind of fun. Uh, so go back and listen to that, Shana. They can't <laughs> see you, but you got a great smile on. <laughs> and uh, we're glad to have this um, time together. You know, today's a special day because we have a guest, Shana. And if it's you true. could introduce our guest um, yes. to us here and, and, and let us know what uh, today is about. I'd be happy to. So next to me is Chrissy Pesnell. So she happens to be married to someone you all might know, Darren, mom of four awesome kids, uh, happens to be the mom of our producer, our maestro, Owen. There's so much I could say about Chrissy. There's just so much more than meets the eye. Can, I, can, I, can I jump in there? Please. More than meets the eye. So my first impression <laughs> of Chrissy, I think this is my first memory of her anyway. She's over my <laughs> yeah, you might because you're getting we didn't, exposed. We didn't get a chance to throw you under the bus last episode, <laughs> so we have to do it now. No, um, but the first memory I have was you and Darren were over our house, I guess, kind of welcoming welcoming us to Ironworks, and you mm-hmm. were kind of blew my stereotype of kind of who I thought you should be. And you were you were wearing <laughs> you were wearing this black leather jacket and you had all of these opinions and I was like, "Wow, okay." <laughs> Not someone to be trifled. With. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, one of my first impressions of Chrissy, which I think is apropos for who she is. When Justin and I first came to Ironworks, it was before Honor Rose was even born. We met at not Chipotle, the better one, Qdoba. And um, I couldn't remember. We met at Qdoba, and I remember Owen was really young. Owen was probably eight, nine, and, you know, the rest of the kids were little, little. But they were uh, they were playing out on the sidewalk, like outside, and Justin and I were on the inside, and Darren and Chrissy, we just talked about all kinds of things, parenting and faith, and they were like, you know, we're just very hands-off, and, and the kids were just out there, and we're like, whoa, <laughs> they're very hands-off. It was fine, you know. And, um, well, they're used to New York City, right? Right, exactly. So, you know, but as Rob said, she blows all kinds of stereotypes. For what it's worth, there are, there's probably nothing in my life that I wouldn't feel like tr- like Chrissy could be trusted where I could speak to her about something very deeply personal and mm. something I'm struggling with. And that's something I find Chrissy is one of many people here at Ironworks who preserve a culture of realness and something we'll talk about today, throwing off pretense. I think Chrissy helps build a culture where we can feel safe to do that, to dive into our faith. But Chrissy will share more about just her experience, her various roles here at Ironworks. There's so much I could say. Yeah, just Christy and I were talking and, you know, saying, you know, how should we introduce this woman? I mean, she has done so much. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm thinking in my head. And what we concluded is that she is not the pastor's wife. Mm. Now, what I mean by that is, yes, she is the wife of the pastor, but she is not the pastor's wife as this is my job description. Right. You know, I don't play the piano and such, you know, kind of thing. Have coiffed hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great word, coiffed. <laughs> Chrissy. So, you know, that's kind of our first impressions of you. We want to get your insight and in, because you've been around the longest at the church um, that you helped found it. You're a co-founder, a co-launcher, co-planter. So, Shana, what were we talking about last week that's going to, you know, we're going to get some insight here from Chrissy? Right. We were talking about gifts, discovering those gifts. Darren was challenging us to think beyond uh, what we 
would expect for this year. Sometimes God puts us in a place where it's something that we wouldn't necessarily dream for ourselves. And so opening ourselves up to gifts. Patrick was with us, right? And so we were talking through different gifts, how to discover those gifts. But Chrissy, we would love to hear from you about gifts, just things about how we use them in the body, um, different gifts that you feel God has given you. So I think the first thing I'd say about gifts and each individual, including myself, is that it is a journey. I've been on a journey since my teens, uh, really, I would say, more than anything, figuring out who I am and my gifting. So it's a journey. And I think big questions that people have is, what is God called me to do you know what is his will for my life and i think for me personally in the church like early on i did a lot of things i have quite a few gifts actually and uh so i was filling a lot of roles in the beginning everyone kind of has their fingers in every pie so that's how it was for all of us and i feel like it's really important when discerning your gifts what is a role and what is God's call? I feel like a role is something you do for a period of time that is finite, whether it's a day or a week or a year or years. So for instance, maybe your career, that is not necessarily your call, right? So if you're a nurse, that is your role as a nurse and you bring your gifts to bear in that. And then there's your call, which I feel is an overarching direction and plan, I think specifically for you that God has called you to, and especially and uniquely equipped you for that. So that's fascinating. So you're saying there's role, there's call, and there's gifts, and they're all intertwined, but not they're necessarily one is the other. So mm-hmm. you're not, just because you're a nurse doesn't mean you're called to be a nurse necessarily, Right. but there might be something even broader than that is what you're saying? Yes, yes. So for instance, me being a pastor's wife is a role. I am currently the wife of a pastor, and I have a certain role that I play in that, and part of my call, especially early on in the church, took a backseat to his call. So there are seasons for your call that are influenced and impacted by your role. For instance, if you've just had a baby, which happens, you know, four times a lot of people in our church. I can't always do my fulfill my call the way I'd like to in different seasons because I have roles to play that I must do. And sometimes they're self-imposed. So you decide to play this role for a period of time or it's from the outside. You know, it's something that comes into your life and you're like, I have to fulfill this role. I think that's a helpful distinction because at least for me, I look back, I've been in my profession, for example, for about 10 years. And there's been various times where I have felt disconnected from it, where there are some years where I feel like a great teacher, I feel like I'm giving in meaningful ways and I'm receiving in a way that's life-giving and it just feels like a success. And then there's other years where I feel extremely disconnected from it. And I think it's important that, you know, sometimes there's roles, sometimes there's calling, but there's always gifts. And I think that's important because sometimes we can feel very disconnected from our calling and we can start to question it. And even things like parenting, like we've had times where I think every parent could say, I know that I'm called to parent this child, but it's very difficult. And I feel like it's not a success. Well, I haven't at times felt like I had the gifts to be a good parent. Right. So in those particular situations, if you've ever noticed, families are very different. What works for one family does not work for another. One of the reasons being is our strengths and weaknesses are different. You know, so you hear a family, they do things a certain way. That is how their role shows up in their family and guiding their family and their children. It's going to look different somewhere else. You should not compare because 
your uniqueness and your gifts come to bear in that and you're not going to do everything perfectly and you will not always be suited well for a role you must play yeah right you're not going to have all the strengths there always but call is different call is it's this overarching plan that's unique to you and you alone it incorporates your gifts in such a way that when you're in your real wheelhouse you love it you thrive you don't get tired of it you can come back to it again and again and there are times where you have to take a break you don't want to burn yourself out but i find people who burn themselves out typically are taking on too many roles versus understanding their calling or they've had a role that they don't really belong in they've done it so long they just burn right out Mm -hmm. and so I think that if people feel like they're burning out, quite possibly they have too many balls up in the air and none of them are their call. When Justin and I first started attending, you were involved with children's ministry. Was that from the very beginning? Uh, Do you feel like that was a call? Do you feel like that's a call that you've answered in different ways over the years? So I would say over the years, I have learned that that is my wheelhouse Mm -hmm. in general. God has gifted me and called me and give me enthusiasm and energy and giftedness primarily in the area of working with families and children. Actually, I've kind of over the years honed it down to where I can see specifically my strongest gifting where I really thrive. I did direct children's ministry in the beginning, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but what I discovered is I did enjoy that. It, I did create the philosophy and the uh, mission and all of that for the church and went over that with Darren and I love it. I love philosophical, you know, who we are, what are we doing? I love developing that. I could not sustain that as part of my gifting in children's ministry. Being the the lead, the director, I can come up with a lot of creative ideas. I can get us out of the gate. I can do logistics. I can do things like that. But over time, I will burn out from that specific thing in children's ministry. So I got the ball rolling. I'm always here for other people that take on the ministry, like for support and encouragement. But I don't want to run that anymore. I I did my role in that specific way, and I enjoyed it. But that's not sustainable for me. It was like a season, like you were saying. It was a season in the calling I have. What would you say is kind of some of the works that you've been a part of that are connected to your call? You said children and family. What, What kind of things, works have you been a part of that, you know, reflect that? Well, as I said, I've directed children's ministry, but where I really thrive and this is kind of it doesn't come down to a specific position Uh, it can show up in various ways but i love to create things and specifically i enjoy doctrine and theology and the nitty-gritty and getting down there and really understanding it and somehow like i said before we each have unique gifting i am able to take these big complex concepts and bring them down and make them accessible to kids on their level of many different age groups. So I like to think about big ideas and I like to think about philosophy and different concepts and how can I take this big thing and bring it, not dumb it down, but bring it so it's accessible to these children so that they can really grip onto something substantial instead of silly little stories. I have the ability to do that and I've learned that over time that when I am teaching and specifically working with kids in a way that's conversational, that's where I do best, and engaging them 
in a back and forth teaching, that's where I do really, really well. For instance, you and Shana are teaching the Apostles' Creed to the, to the mm-hmm. I guess, tweens or the fourth and fifth graders, right? Yes. That's one thing you're doing. And then you invented uh, Doodle Sunday. Yes. Which yes. is, you yeah. know, actually, I didn't, when we first came here, I really didn't like Doodle Sunday. I was like, there's kids and they're making a lot of noise. And, uh, <laughs> but now I've come to love it and I understand Mm-hmm. you know, the philosophy behind it. Well, that was a brainchild of mine that I don't know if other churches have done it, but back when we were in New York City, Pastor Sam's church, at some point when Darren was an intern there, we both were kind of doing Christian ed stuff together and I kind of took on the children's stuff and we kind of developed it from necessity because it was really hard to find teachers to fill, you know, four weeks out of the month. But beyond that, I found that the children belong in the service. They are part of the body of Christ. And partly what I like about developing Doodle Sunday is I actually, when I did it, I no longer prepare, but it was a challenge to me to take an adult sermon, right? And look at it and say, what are the illustrations? What are they going to color? What are they going to do? How can I take these big concepts in a sermon and say, no, this is for the kids, right? And they can understand certain things. How do we take that complex information and make it accessible to children in a way that doesn't dumb it down? And so once again, that is a product of this ability that I have to make it accessible to children. There's a lot of philosophy behind Doodle Sunday uh, that's far beyond that, but I was able to implement that earlier on because I had this ability and I worked with Darren. So it was a little easier because I had access to him to kind of work that out. Well, I feel like we could talk about this like for the whole iron cast because Mm -hmm. there's some, sounds like God has done just a lot of deep uh, digging in your life in this area. And I think what I would recommend is that anyone wanting to understand gifting, calling roles to grab coffee with you. Are you a coffee person? Do you like one-on-one? I don't drink coffee. I drink (laughs) tea. But I do think that when people can understand that difference, it yeah. will it will really help them to say, is this a role in my life at the moment? Is this a season of my calling? Right. Like pulling that apart. Apparently, this is very common for the church planning pastor's wife in particular, any pastor's wife, but really church planning for you to be like, so, so what's my call in all of this? What is my, what am I doing? I'm a, okay, I'm. What am I? You know, yeah. you, you yeah. just get confused. <laughs> That's a great like, question. Is, Jana, is what are my you? call to be a <laughs> Good pastor's wife? You know, and I remember having conversations with Darren where I would say to him, because it was really hard in the beginning, so hard. And I would say, mm, do we have to be a pastor's family forever? Yeah. <laughs> I don't ask that question anymore, but good. That's good news. <laughs> but uh, Well, we appreciate your family so much, yes. regardless of you know, titles, roles. And yeah, but it did, it did lend itself towards confusion for me for a while. I just didn't know where I fit. When we first started, I didn't know what it meant to even be a pastor's wife. So sometimes I'd walk in, I was like, do I smile? Do I wait? What do I do? Like, I just <laughs> felt like, wh- I don't know what this, now I've lost myself. I don't even know, like, how I, I, I know I have these gifts and I know I'm doing all these things, but who am I? So I kind of lost that sense. And now I get to work with Shana. 
which I love. And what I find is we are two very different types of teachers, mm -hmm. but we go really well together. And I think that's another thing about gifts that shows where you shine is that she does it her way. I do it my way. We kind of lump it together and somehow it's, it's a great class that works well for the kids because we don't try to change each other and the way we're gifted uniquely. We complement each other and work together. I think Shana's gifted in that way that she's a multiplier and not just an <laughs> additive. She definitely, with anyone she works with, she becomes that yeah. Yeah, exponent. Doing a collaborative with her in the yeah. class, I just think it's, you know, when you add more giftedness to the pile, that's different than, you know, and, but I would say we have a similar call. I would say that we're called to the same area and ministry, but we both have different wheelhouses where we really just, we have drive to do it and it brings us joy and we thrive there and we have energy for it. And, you know, I feel like I walk away from the class on Sunday morning teaching the Apostles' Creed going, I am so glad I did it. Like I, I loved being in there today and I put off for a long time committing to that class. And then I was like, why did, why did I put this off for so long? This is kind of like part two to the podcast of two weeks ago. And, and all that we were just talking about really is identity formation. And this sermon also is about identity and who we are, um, that, that we're talking of really the story comes around this one guy, this, or this one type of this archetype, uh, a scribe. And so in two weeks ago, we talked about this, this scribe. We didn't talk about it on the podcast, but Sam talked about how the scribe was commended by Jesus and, and just said, hey, you're close to the kingdom of God. And you're kind of like surprised because the scribe is almost this, you know, he thinks he's an expert and he questions Jesus and see if Jesus knows the law, see if he's got his theology right. And Jesus does. And the scribe's like, hey, way to go, Jesus. And let me add this. Uh, to it as well that you know that God appreciates our obedience more than sacrifice and and Jesus just comments you know you're close to the kingdom so then that was part one part two we get into Jesus saying kind of calling the scribes out and saying okay you know this guy he had a good answer but here's the issue with scribes they are pretenders and this is where Darren really wanted to focus in on us and say are we pretending are we, and, and it wasn't in a mean way because his real his heart is, are we having a real encounter with God? And so, pretending would keep us from yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I love how Darren said that his heart, you know, is for our joy, but in a specific way, his heart is for us to, to see us have a true encounter with God. And what directly interferes with that is us pretending. And so pretending looks different in different ways. So for instance, he talks about honor and humility. Shane, I'm going to let you dive into that. He also talks about one way to, to look and see if you're a pretender is, you know, how, what you do with your money because money doesn't lie. And uh, so money will reveal the true person. I just wanted to kind of give a quick summary of that. It wasn't a great summary, but this, this idea of, you know, who are we as people of God? And Jesus is calling us out as he's calling out this scribe to see if we're for real, if we're having a real encounter with God, or if we're just faking it, you know, if we're making up long prayers, if we're, you know, like these seats of honor, all that. So Shana, you know, as he talked about honor and humility, kind of riff for us on, uh, on culture and about honor in our culture and what you think that, how that pertains to us, you know, sure. pretending or not. Sure. I'll start by just reading uh, verse 38, and it's describing these scribes. It says, And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and like greetings in the marketplaces, 
and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So we read that and it creates a really powerful comparison or contrast with the widow later on in a few verses. It creates this image of these people who seek after honor, right? They're looking for all the best seats. They have these extended prayers. And Darren mentions how these things that kind of puff up our pride, they're powerful tools that Satan can use to keep us from having an encounter with God. And it can instead, you know, we will be leaning on having a fake one, right? We're on the outside. We look like we are seeking after God and we're so holy. So, and he mentions um, a hypocrite, right? A hypocrite is an actor, a pretender doing things so that other people honor us. Darren made a very astute observation. He says, no one likes humiliation. We do prefer honor. As he was talking about that, my mind immediately went to the movie of Mulan because because I'm a millennial and I you know Disney was pretty much like you know I in it's your lieu, narrative right in, in, in lieu of spiritual formation as a child I watched Disney and uh I have the he-man narrative and you have <laughs> Disney right and so but if you're familiar with this movie Mulan there's this girl and she's living in ancient China and she's not fitting into a, her traditional role right she doesn't feel like her gifts line up with her calling to be this future wife. And she completely messes everything up. And um, as she's coming back, you know, she's ashamed and she's hanging her head. And, you know, she always speaks out of turn. And her father says things like, you dishonor me. You know, eventually she, you, you know. dishonor the Fa family. Right, right. So, but she, there's this whole movie, she goes through all these different conquests and she eventually comes home and she's won all these honors for for the Fa family, right? And she says, these are gifts to honor the Fa family. And so I just, I kind of went there and I started thinking about how our culture uh, handles honor. We tend to honor strengths. We tend to want to look like we have it all together. I think about this in my workplace. I often look around at other teachers and I'm like, wow, they just have it all together all the time, you know? But then come to find out people will think the same thing of me. And I'm like, you are so confused, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because nothing is further from the truth. And I just, you know, I, he, Darren really is right. We really do prefer honor to humiliation. And Rob, if I could, I'd love to invite you to um, talk about the difference between humility and humiliation. Yeah. I feel like you had a really great conversation with one of your kids about this one time. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think, you know, and um, I don't want to stereotype, but, uh, you know, I have multi-races in my house, you know. So we have Latino, we have African-American, Afghan, uh, you know, white, Caucasian, all different, you know, mm. and then there's Vera. So we have uh, just this. She's her uh, own, own category. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's a Vera. <laughs> so anyway, I, you know, we are, I think in the black culture, uh, there's a respect is really huge. And uh, for some reason, my son just, and I, he didn't feel like I was respecting him on, you know, and, and there's even, maybe it's a boy thing too. I ask certain tasks to be done and they just, they're above it. And so mm-hmm. I talk about, Hey, you know, this task is not humiliating. You know, it's humbling yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and to do it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that you're, I'm looking down on you or I'm, I'm, uh, think I'm better than you or anything like that. So that's what I can recall. If that's what you're referring to Shane, unless mm-hmm. you remember some other great quote that I stole. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was, I think, yeah. yeah. And I feel like that really ties in well with what Darren was trying to get at. I, my mind also went there because when Darren was finishing up his sermon, he was talking about how far are we willing to go to attain honor? How will, how do we deal with it? Right. How far will we go? And he encouraged us to look at this example of the widow where she gave all that she had 
right? And Jesus was also like the widow. He saw himself in her, right? Taking on a position of shame, right? Giving up all your riches, throwing away that pretense. I just find that in our culture, that's a really subversive thing to do, mm-hmm. to, um, to lower yourself to even something like in the form of an apology, right? That's something where, you know, if, if you're a high school teacher and you apologize to a student, I just feel like that's, that's unheard of. Mm. Like if you, you know, if you make a mistake in your classroom, you give a quiz or a test on something you didn't teach well enough. And then you turn around and you're like, you know what? I didn't do this quite the way I should have. Like that's absolutely mind blowing to them because they don't expect that. They, adults and kids in our culture are just taught to look like they have it all together all the time and be in a position of strength. You know, when you think of pretending, I think of pretense, wearing a mask, right? And they've got these long robes, right? They've got this appearance. And I once heard that we wear a mask. We put that on and put on that pretense because we want other people to think of us a certain way. And we are more concerned. I love this quote. We are more concerned with what others think of us than what God knows to be true about us. So God knows what's under that mask. He knows what we're pretending. And I just love that, Mm -hmm. you know. God knows, right? And what do you really care about? We want that honor. Yeah. Yeah, Darren, and that's where Darren, one of the main points of his sermon, he was saying about ways to have this genuine encounter with God, right? He says about throwing aside pretense, Again, dealing with honor and looking at our checkbooks. And so I, I definitely would love to hear your guys' thoughts about just throwing aside pretense. How can we do that in a way that's honoring to God? I've been in certain certain situations where oversharing happens, you know, like we, I think that we should still have boundaries as a church, but how can we throw aside that pretense and I think pr- preserve and enhance that culture of realness that we have. I think one thing that Darren mentions that we did as a church that was a turning point was, you know, we wanted to be about one of our missions is to plant churches. Mm -hmm. And when we started putting money aside for that, we really began to see the church become more dependent on God. And then he just blessed right away. It's his mission and we got on board with it and then he wanted to bless it. So that's one thing that we can do is, uh, like Darren said, to be risky and saying, okay, God, I'm going to be truly encountering you. I need to be a part of your mission. Something that comes to mind for me, I remember when I first came to Ironworks, I went to a prayer meeting uh, actually at the Wagner's house and someone shared something very personal. Like it was a something, it was very real and it was something they were going through. And I remember Becky Olson didn't offer practical advice per se, but she said, we're going to walk this path with you. And I just was so moved by that because that's throwing aside pretense. That's like, it's not giving like this pat answer. It's, you know, like it's not offering a cliche, but it's like really embracing another person and saying like, your burdens are my burdens and I'm going to love you and serve you and not judge you. You know, I'm going to walk this path with you. Well, I do know, and I'm trying to get to the source, the heart of why I say this, and I'm thinking it through in relationship to your question, but oftentimes when I'm talking about this openness and the sharing with others. Oftentimes, my response is, I don't have the time or the energy to put on a show for you. Hmm. It's exhausting to put on a show. It's exhausting to pretend. It consumes up, I don't know, this energy that really should be expelled upon focusing on the gospel. That's where I really should be pointing you. So I can worry about 
how I look to you, or I can say, I need the gospel, you need the gospel, and I don't have the energy or time for anything else but that. It just has to go back to the gospel. It just has to rest on him. I am too tired of trying to be good. And when you realize that you're trying and trying and trying and you're trying to impress, it is just a miserable, exhausting experience, in my opinion, when you can just hang up on the peace of Christ. Darren mentions about he's you know challenging us not to have that facade, right? Not keeping people at an arm's length, you know, knowing them just enough to where they always think well of you, but living in such a way where people can, you know, sometimes they see you on your bad day and they have to give you grace. Talking about the kingdom reality, the story, can you read the last um, story in this sermon for us, Shane, about the widow and the pennies? So this starts uh, Mark 12, starting at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So Jesus is calling out the scribes because they are devouring the widows' homes, and and the widows are the one of the dearest to God's heart, you know. And and then he tells, look at this woman, and, and compares again to what wealthy people are doing. So he's saying, okay, let's take a look at what kingdom really looks like because we're confused here. You know, Chrissy is, if you're looking at this widow and you're looking at these rich people, what do you see? What do you see that's kingdom? What do you see that's pretense and fake? Well, I think I can really only speak from personal experience, which I went from having a job and a career and going into full-time ministry and having to raise support. And I didn't really understand giving at that point. I I didn't realize it till later. But when I went into ministry, what I found is that those who can afford to give and support you, oftentimes they will not. And they might say, oh, I love what you're doing. That's really cool, but nope. And the people who primarily support you are those who you feel like giving the money back with some extra. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? They literally give to the point of hurting and and they do it with joy. And they do it with this sense of a greater knowing of God that only comes by you know being in that place where you fully have to rely. And so I had instances where, and, and I never had enough support. I sometimes had negative support personally because <laughs> I owed money for insurance. Like, I never knew it was going to happen for me support wise, but I learned by what I received, how to give out of my poverty as well. During that time, I never Mm -hmm. knew what was going to happen. Uh, I had to pray for deodorant two times (laughs) (laughs) and I, I prayed very specifically and you know, I got two $1 bills in the mail from this family whose kids decided to support me, give me, send me part of their allowance. And I've been praying as a God, I need enough. And then I got in a vehicle is a team car. I'm going to Walmart and I was like, God, I use this certain brand. Can you just make it on sale? Because I don't even have a penny for tax, you know? And can you make it like 30% more free in the container or something? This has really got to last. And sure enough, I go in, I walk right to the aisle I need to go to. My personal choice of deodorant is on sale, 30% extra in the container, free. Mm. So God, like he listens to our prayers. He knows our needs. 
And I find that those without have a deeper sense of relying on God. When they trust him, it just increases trust, I think. Like you see God do amazing things. And so I learned not to be afraid to give money away when I had nothing. We have this issue with money either way. We have this fear, and I think it boils down to, will God be good to us? Will he take care of us? So I don't think it matters if you have plenty or you have a whole lot, but I think it's easier to say, God, I just, here's here, have it all, because I'm not going to make it anyway. <laughs> you know, like I, need, I need more than what I have coming in. It reminds me of that hymn, What Will Be Your Offering, right? Give him everything, Yeah. right? And that's that really is the gospel, right? Um, right, take up take up your cross. Like we believing in Christ really does cost us everything, but it gives us everything in return. Right. Yeah. And, and Darren left us with uh, the, the most important thought is that, you know, Jesus, he exemplifies this. He became poor. He left everything. Mm-hmm. He had limitless reality and he leaves it all to come to a limited, very finite, you know, world. And he gives it all up so that he can die for us, take on the penalty mm-hmm. that we deserved. So, uh, Chrissy, thank you for being with us. Thank you. I am excited for people to really connect with you and hear more about what you're... I'm happy to meet with people or talk yeah. further about them. I yeah. feel like the things that we covered, you could go on and on. Yeah, about, so. absolutely. So, I do like tea, not coffee. Yeah, Just make saying. sure it's tea. <laughs> <laughs> and Shana, it's always wonderful being with you. So, <laughs> All right. Likewise. Yeah. So, okay, so uh, Ironworks people will talk to you in a couple weeks.